Welcome to Redefining Success, the Kingdom Builder Spotlight. I'm your host, Eric L. Dunavant, the Mindset Disruption Strategist and President and CEO of Paradigm. My teams and I redefine success for purpose-driven families and businesses by challenging social norms and balancing family and finance to build kingdom impact and generational prosperity. I believe that there are families and businesses that have learned to give a new definition to the word success from a kingdom perspective. Sit back, relax, and enjoy the next 20 to 30 minutes where we take traditional thinking and turn it upside down. Welcome, everyone. This is Eric L. Donovan, the Mindset Disruption Strategist. We are here for another episode of Redefining Success. And joining me today is Edward Henry, the president of Edward Henry, Edward Henry Company and Economics, Inc. And having talked to him before the show, there is an incredible story sitting inside here, and I can't wait to unpack it. So, Eddie, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you very much, Eric. It's great to be on your show. Yeah. So my first question is always the same. It's a Saturday afternoon. I got the barbecue fired up. It's I've invited all my friends over. Would you do me a favor and please introduce yourself to my friends? My name is Edward Henry. Most of my friends either call me Ed or Eddie. And the best way to explain it is uh, I'm a bit of a sales nerd with a passion for um, for my family when I'm not working. It's the only, only two places I like to be is here at the office or with my family. That's pretty much the easiest way to understand me. Tell me about your family. Oh, I got a uh, I got a lovely wife who has challenged me in every way a man should be or could be challenged, and um, and that and I attribute a lot of that to my success. Uh, and I got a wonderful uh, I got wonderful three kids. Um, my youngest right now is primarily my focus because he's in his third year university and he keeps me busy with. He's also in my business as well, so he's a bit wow. of a sales nerd like his father. Yeah, <laughs> so. Eddie, what are you passionate about right now? It's it's the word behind me. It's economics. It's become it's become everything I care about. It's a journey I started about ten years ago, literally ten years ago, and um, it started with a book that I wrote. I sent it to a friend of mine in Texas, uh, a gentleman by the name of Stanley Schwartz, and um, he used to be an advisor for Nikon. He used to be a global education advisor, and he advised me. I take this idea that I wrote in a book and turn it into an application. So I did that very thing. And, um, and I followed that for nearly 10 years of my life. And for the last five years uh, was the most exciting part because I started to learn to enjoy the journey of what I was building and, um, and learning to really enjoy life and, and be passionate about it. It's just become an entirely new experience. That's amazing. I want to, let's unpack all of that. So what, what was the idea? What is economics? Well, it's what we believe. We always, you know, sales is a big career and learning how to sell has been an evolution since the day of peddlers. We used to be called peddlers. We got a problem with being called salespeople, but we used to be called peddlers. So just <laughs> let's think about that for a second, right? But the entire concept of selling, there was always something I felt was wrong with it. And here's the thing. I was the kind of guy that would lie a lot, mm. rarely mm. keep his word, never do what he would say he would do. And I fit the mold of what was seen as the traditional salesperson, you know, yeah. the, the the dirt bag or whatever you want to call that. 
And, um, and there came a point where, you know, I always wanted to try to do better because, you know, I, I came from a place of, of, you know, I guess we were poor mm -hmm. and we came from a, a very humble upbringing and I always wanted more out of life, but I, I had the wrong tools to know how to go about getting that. Yeah. So, um, and there was trauma and stuff like that in my life. You know, I went through, you know, first time I ever drank alcohol, I was eight years of age and it was with my father. Oh, and wow. um, he was teaching me a lesson not to grab his beer and drink it. So he got me drunk. And that was his lesson at eight years wow. of age. Yes. And then and then again at 12, you know, but that time, you know, so my father was my best friend, not my father. Mm. Um, but he was, but you know, so my tools growing up were were that of a kid who came from an uneducated uh, upbringing. Yeah. So so, I mean, growing up my whole life, I've always wanted to, and, and I tried to look for the shortcut and everything because I was always in a hurry. Yeah. And all these things played a part into my psychology and learning how to slow down and figure things out, right? So, and learn how to slow down and enjoy life because I was always in a rush to get somewhere. Yeah. Anywhere safe. And um, so about a couple of years ago, as I've been building this program, I met the love of my life, I'd say about six years ago. And she was a woman who taught me more about selling than I ever learned in my life. But, and, and I mean that because what she was really teaching me about was how to be a partner, but I was too focused on all the other things to see mm. it at the time. And that became a big part of my evolution of what I call economics. See, mm. by understanding the value of partnership and understanding the series of dating and the do's and don'ts of dating. And she helped me understand everything about Take, transforming a relationship to a partnership and then I started putting that to that selling experience that science and we developed the best program that I think anybody's ever going to see in sales enablement that's called wow. economics so <laughs> this is I almost wish she was here this is an incredible <laughs> woman who's patient enough to you to teach you what's supposed to be happening um most women would kind of be like I got on to the next one you know so how did how did that season kind of go and what, how many times did she well, have to knock you over the head? I'll tell you, I tried to bullshit the hell out of her. I mean, I really did. I, I lied. I tried to play every game. I, you know, and she was smart. She'd catch me often, mm. you know, still to this day, she'll always remind me she's smarter than me. Right. But, <laughs> but, um, but she, she just, you know what? And I didn't want to, I wanted to be with her. So it got to a point where it's like, you know, you were either going to do this thing or you're yep. not going to do it. And it became a simple choice, a hard choice, because really changing and, and really addressing and, and meaning what you say, because she would she would never tolerate an excuse. Mm. So she taught me how to be a certain type of partner. And then I started applying that to my to my selling process and to my way of doing what I say I'm going to do. Yeah. And then it, it transformed into an entire thing where we found ways to build systems that actually do what you say you're going to do. Now imagine that a salesperson that actually does what they say they're going to do. And that became the empathy. But what was crazy was before I actually figured it out, my relationship with jo with joy, my, my better half mm -hmm. was at a place where it was almost ready to, well, it was almost over. Mm. And I had to take the same very science of selling and put it back into my personal relationship to mm. save it. Hmm. So what was, let's kind of, let's go from a disruption standpoint. What, give us two or three of kind of the biggest disruptions in thinking or way that, you know, can we talk this redefining success? What did you have to redefine about what you thought sales or relationship was to get, to kind of 
get it to work or get to this place? Well, because anytime I thought about selling, I've always sold. And I look at how everybody else, I look at all the traditional sales processes and everything is based on a specific bias of what I call one win. Hmm. I mean, we, we talk about a, a, a win-win relationship I and mean, we've been talking about it and selling forever. Yeah. But every sales process is designed based on the very beginning to only uncover one win. Mm. Meaning the information I ask you is only based on what I need to know to close my deal, this deal. And it's really, if you compare it to dating, it's like, what do I got to do to get a one night stand? Right. right. Same principle, right? Yeah. Never conscious of what the customer's actual expectations are. Never conscious of what the customer's goals are. Like, so in other words, we don't even get intimate. We just want to get a one night stand. Mm. Mm. And by and by really understanding that aspect of business, we learned by teaching our clients like this is how you literally properly sell, because yeah. this is what your relationship asked of you when you decided to get into a relationship. And, and instead of looking for things in common, said, hey, I need a common direction. I need to find a common direction. And here's where we're going to go. Let's find out what your expectations are first. And if I can satisfy them, I'm actually asking for the deal up front. Mm. As long as I agree to do the things that I just promised. Yeah. Yeah. Which means I have to do what I just promised. Right. Yeah. And that concept of selling, I know as untraditional as it sounds, but we've been approaching all sales relationships differently mm. than any other relationship when it's the very thing we have to do is approach it the exact same way we do with every relationship and follow those sequential series of actions based on building mutual trust, which is two wins, not one win. And really defining that success. So we found a way to use a simple adoption process that really helps people to slow down and say, hey, let's be in the moment. Let's have real conversations, make the time count and, and really make that connection and decide on how that whether there's a relationship properly. And our success rate for us and our clients have went around just because it's what people want. Yeah. Yeah. What they trust. Right. Right. What's been the biggest obstacle to kind of getting this message out or getting people to embrace this way of thinking? Well, I think in the beginning, in the beginning for us, it was really understanding it first of all, and then putting mm. it into our system. So we actually, in other words, if we can't practice what we preach, this it doesn't work. Yeah. So then when we start working with uh, prospects from the beginning, we had to really make sure our processes were in line that we could do the very thing that we promised to do, deliver proposals when we say we're going to do, make sure we give mm. that customer experience and, and manage engagement, keyword engagement, because that's what we do in relationships. And in sales, we call touch points, meetings, whatever you want. But when you really, that's the blind spot of every business. So what we've been doing is we've been able to really, really define engagement, even in CRM applications where we give people real true oversight of what we call partner pulse, meaning this is what your sales process looks like. What we call partner pulse, meaning this is where you're at in that process. This is how intimate you are. This is your engagement. This is where the customers engage and, and by how, how we hold each other accountable really defines the level of engagement. Think about it, it's just like dating. Mm. In other words, if you're an A-type engaged, accountable yep. um, prospect and you're holding that partner pulse, because that's what you would do. You would it'd be, we'd be, uh, we'd be literally meeting expectations back and forth the entire way through. Mm. And we would be doing this based on the common line. Now, if you're like a B prospect, which is 
you're somewhat interested, you're somewhat engaged, you're not doing what you say you're doing, but you're still there, you're getting to the cross the finish line. And that's no different than our relationships. But if we understood exactly what we're trying to do, then it's easier to make sure that those sequential series of, of actions in the entire sales process are designed to partner instead of just be selling. In other words, let's stop the bullshit. <laughs> yeah, but that's, we've been doing it this way for so long, right? You got you got a lot of pattern disrupt that's got to happen inside of that. Well, well, there is, but, but there's something amazing that happens with our clients from the beginning. We have testaments. So I'll give you an example. Yeah. Adoption, one of the biggest challenges in sales, meaning I train you and you adopt it and you do it when you're supposed to. Now, non-sales type, this is fascinating, non-sales type personalities, meaning people that don't normally embrace selling, um, they hate it because they see selling as something like lying. Yeah, right. So our adoption strategies right away are be, are designed in the beginning to help them understand, first of all, the value of a promise. Secondly, to know that they break it often. And mm. third, to acknowledge how full of shit they are. Mm -hmm. Now, now, once we've done that, and by the way, it's been crazy, the kind of audiences that we've been able to do this. Like we've done this in front of a, even one of our Milroy clients. They'd had 25 guys in a training session and everybody agrees to the fact that once they look at it, I break a lot of promises. Yeah, yeah. Right? And that on its own is, so then when we talk about economics, we're talking about how to keep a promise, how to partner with a person mm. and get that end result. Now that's different than selling, right? Yeah. Yeah. But is it? No. Well, but you've got the hardest job of all and maybe I'm not right, but I mean, most people don't like to admit they're a liar. Correct. So you know, what is that process? I, maybe, let me better ask this question. What was that like for you? Walk to us through I was the a liar? journey of waking up to the fact that you were a liar. Well, if I was going to break through anything, if I was going to, I had to really, truly accept accountability. Now, look, being with Miss Joy, there's no excuses, which means there's no reasons. There's absolutely no reasons for not doing what I say I'm going to do. Yeah. Right. And that was painful. That was painful. But you know what? It really did cut through a lot of my BS. Did, and, you, and, and did you have an aha moment? Yeah. When you were dating her or whatever that was like that you the light bulb kind of finally went off. It did. We would have these arguments and she'd be winning, which was very rare. And because and, and but her logic was sound. And I'm like, OK, maybe maybe I am wrong or she's just smarter than me. And then it hit me that I was wrong. Mm. Like it actually hit me that I was wrong. And, you know, I buried myself under certain layers of bullshit just specifically even had to do with my childhood trauma yeah you know yeah. like like i was fighting drunks at the age of uh 11 12 there was abuse there was it was it was a crazy place so trusting a woman was difficult for me yeah and then letting someone in was even more difficult but i did and and i found things that i had no idea one was learning how full of shit i was and the other one was really defining who i was as a person mm. and um and yeah, it, it, I honestly, it was awakening. And, and that started the journey of really understanding. And once you start a journey like that, you don't run the other way. Yeah. Right? right. It, it was it was just, and she challenged me in a way that that I challenged myself. And all of a sudden, you know, I, I remember in 2014, my father passed away. Mm -hmm. And um, he died of a, a um, 
two double amp he died of a gang reinfection he had like two amputations wow and um and it wasn't like diabetes he just didn't he you know he drank he didn't take care of himself and uh and and you know what it was it was right around that time that my father was more like my kid than my dad yeah like yeah. i took care of him he you know and the last 10 years of his life there was a change in his direction but the last five years he became an amazing grandfather of my son at a time when I needed him. And the last six months of his life, he said things to me where I actually listened to him. Mm -hmm. And one of them was about how to parent my son. Cause I was going through a, a separation and a, um, and a divorce and, and I was not doing the right things by my kid. And, um, and I had to literally really honestly see that. And my dad helped me see that, Hey, you need, you need to stop traveling and doing this and that mm -hmm. you need to stay in one place and do what's right by your boy. And, and that, that that honestly was pivotal because the moment that my son was living with me because he ended up moving in with me because um, my son was at a point where he needed his father and my ex-wife was good and good and strong enough to see that and she it was as hard as it was for her she just did what she had to do for him mm. so he came and stayed with me and um now all of a sudden he's watching and this was different because i'm like he's watching i gotta it was an audience and I had to honestly, and I wanted him to be proud. Yeah. My name became something. It really did. How he seen me became something because, um, with my son watching it, my brother always pointed out something in our family tree, my name, Edward Henry. And the reason why we're called Edward Henry company has a lot to do with a legacy. Mm. And my father, Bernie Henry, um, he is the son of a man named Edward Henry. Okay. Edward Henry is not his real father, but mm. Edward Henry married my grandmother. And then he had three, four daughters, nobody to carry that name forward. So my father names me Edward Henry after this man. And this man was a grandmaster at chess. He was, he should have been in university, but instead he went and he went where he felt he should have been. And I guess that's where he should have been was fighting for this country and mm. for Canada in the second world war. Mm. And, um, and he was just everything of character that you would, You'd be proud of and he lost his hearing to friendly fire um u.s friendly fire and he was he was he was uh mostly deaf i don't know how much yeah but this man had that character and it, and as a grandfather like like how could you not love him he was just yeah. he was just and smart as anything and, and a lot of ideas and things and thoughts he's the guy that really helped me to understand that everything is, is about a sequence mm. right he, as a kid, I, I remember I was about 18 or 19. He told me to go into the washroom and he said, you know, he said, put the lid down. And I want you to think of how you're going to skip a step without making a mess. I'd be like, I'd be looking at this toilet going, I don't see it. And and, he, and like he said to me, there's nothing you can't accomplish without sequence. Like it was just that. Apparently. Uh, okay. And that became the science of this life. But it also became how. You know, I really worked through that trauma and and had to really like zero down the moments of where I had to accept responsibility mm -hmm. um, and learn to become a man. Yeah. So how has this transformed your business? Because I can imagine that, you know, bringing a business together of where it's run by someone who's telling the truth and then you're bringing truth to other businesses creates an incredible culture. Well, truth is one thing, but really delivering or doing something you say you're going to do. And that's that was an entirely different science. Like, I mean, and especially in this day and age, I remember someone, I remember this, like, I know it sounds crazy, but it was like a light bulb idea that came out. Barely anybody does what they say they're doing in business anymore. So mm -hmm. if you could do that, that would be some unique marketing. 
Yeah. Right? Sad part is nobody believes anybody does what they say they're going to do anymore. I mean, in, in, in a realistic way. But no, we are holding that bar and our clients look at us like, how are you doing this? Like you're literally mm -hmm. holding that line and we're delivering and we're doing things that we say we can do that. They're like, no, he does what he says he could do. And um, but to do that, to get to that practice. Yeah, it was the hardest thing. One of the hardest things I ever, ever did. But to become to become exactly what I felt I had to do to um, change to get to this place. That was nothing in comparison to what I had to do to become, a, you know, accountable as a father or a, or a husband mm. or to even become a decent man to become a gentleman. Yeah. Yeah. How are you duplicating that though inside of your employees? Well, I think the employees model accountability, mm. right? They model, they model like, you know, my son, my son literally, when my son said to me the other day, you know, dad, the most intimidating thing about you as a father is that you actually hold yourself to this level of accountability. Mm. Right. You know, I had to pick five. I studied adoption to a place where I literally had to train myself to, um, to literally fo follow five rules. And it became what we call the five and five of economics. Okay. And I did, and, and I had to do that for me in order to make sure I do exactly what I say I'm going to do. Yeah. And number one was don't rush because mm. that's what I did my whole life. And that's how I made every mistake. Yep. So like really learning to slow it down. Mm. Um, mm. And when I get passionate or excited, I hit speed mode fast. Right. right. I gotta be like, but I'm always aware of it. I actually listened to the song. Don't rush for almost 18 straight weeks. So that all I was thinking was don't rush, don't rush. And that was the kind of programming I was literally doing to yeah. make sure it was instinctive. Um, second thing I did was meet, Meet, meet mutual expectations, set mutual expectations. Everybody that I meet, I got to set mutual mm. expectations. I need to under, I need to get intimate enough to understand what they are. Cause I remember Joy said to me, Hey, if you want to be with me, this is what you need to do. Mm. Right. And then number three was, and this, this one was crazy. This one took me a bit of time. Keep touch points to a minimum. That doesn't mean use less touch points. That just means make the time count. Mm plan prep you know we do that for dates but we don't do that for business yep yep right so then it was like hey let's 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 really make that time count if i got somebody's time whether it's five minutes 10 hours whatever it is be prepared and get done what it is you wanted to get done number four my personal favorite is i call it the gentleman of the sales relationship the gentleman of the sales relationship and that and i say gentleman in the traditional sense it doesn't okay. matter if you're female, male, or whatever. I mean the gentleman. And what I mean is do not give the customer work. If you have a way of making sure the customer doesn't get the work, don't give it to them. Make it easy for them to say yes. Make it easy for them to make decisions. Make it enjoyable. Like, why, why not make it enjoyable? Make it so that they really can see the work you're doing. And, and by mm. the way, one of the things I say, hey, if you're going to save them the work, show them the work you do. That's the value. Mm. That's the real value. Yeah, right. Right? right? Why hide it? Like show it. You're doing it for them. Show it and show them exactly what you're doing for them. So they understand that value. Yeah, and then that's... number number five is accountability. It's always hmm. next step, next step date and a reminder. Our job to make the reminder. It's our job to keep it on your radar. Our job to be that gentleman. Yeah. And manage the engagement of the relationship. Wow. Isn't it? Yeah, no, no, no. I'm looking through these five. I'm like, this is powerful. It's more powerful than all the training you could take. And the reason why that hit me was 
I read a document by um, Mark Martins. I talk about him. I talk about this document often, and it's um, he is the retired Brigadier General of U.S. of the U.S. Army, and um, this this man literally wrote this thesis that explains how uh, how adoption is done, and training adoption, and so forth, and and how decision making and 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 the one it was one of the most remarkable documents because I'm sitting there thinking. We give an 18-year-old a rifle and say, hey, hey, go out <laughs> in the worst place and make good decisions with five whole rules. Right? Yeah. Now I'm like, if I can't train salespeople to make good decisions with five rules, there's a problem. So that became the evolution of that process of adoption. Okay. And it changed everything about the way that we manage partnerships, the way that we do everything. And that's how we that's how we establish that level of accountability. I don't rush. I make sure that I really think about the things I'm saying. I take the time to record the things I'm saying. I take the time to really deci decide how I'm going to deliver, right? And in other words, make it about servicing the customer, not conning the customer, not convincing. Yeah. And um, yeah, what, like I said, Joy taught me how to sell. By the way, to explain. <laughs> uh, did she work in the business? No. No, she works on the business. You're right. Yeah, right. <laughs> you're, you're like me. You're a continual work in progress, I take it. Completely. A, a matter of fact, my favorite quote is one that very few people know both parts of it. I haven't met anybody who knows both parts of it. I, I often hear people know the first part, which is um, when a student is ready, the teacher will appear. Okay. Yep. It's a common quote. A lot of people hear of it, but very few people know the second part is when the student is truly ready, the teacher will disappear. Ah, there you go. That's powerful. And it's humility that yeah. as, as a sales professional, it's humility I chase. Yeah. It is that student that I want to bring to the sales game. Yeah. Mm. That's so good. Eddie, um, if people want to get in touch with you, kind of follow what you're doing, get more into kind of these five principles and a really kind of, willing to apply this truth concept because it's, it's completely transformational. What's the best way for them to kind of keep up or follow the things that you've got going on? Well, they could, they could go to edwardhenry.com or economics.com. That's with an H for echo. Okay. And, or they can even, they, they could even call the phone here. We even answer the phones. Yeah, 647-725-7575. We return calls all the time. Look, it's about the customer. Like we yeah. really make it about the customer. What before we before I get to my last question, what especially since COVID, is anything changed or is there any what's the big lesson that you're learning, especially as people are kind of navigating what where we are right now and what's coming? Um, I think I think more or less, I think people are very apprehensive to understand how we're coming out of the out of this actual pandemic. I mean, we it was easier for us to understand how to do business going into the pandemic. Mm. But coming out of it has been a change in the way people do things, trends. I mean, I just talked to a client today that's, that's you know, they've had a boost, you know, and they were in year four of their business. And, and they're like, okay, so what are our trend lines now? And I'm like, I don't know. Yeah. So, yeah, there, there are some real serious things that, that even the smartest people are going to have a hard time figuring out. Mm. Mm. But sales will still be a key important part of everything that people do. And it sounds like you're doing it the right way. It's, I feel it's the best way. Like I really do. I feel a partnership is much better than a customer. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. 
And is there anything I didn't get to ask you about that you wanted to make sure you'd get a chance to share with my audience? No, just, uh, just, we, we, uh, we love what we do. This is where I'm at all the time where I'm either with the most beautiful woman in the planet. Like it's just literally, <laughs> that's it. That's I it. love it. How old is your son? You said he's in his third year. He's in his third year. He's 20. He's, uh, he's, he's a brilliant, he's a brilliant boy. He's actually taken B commerce and technology management. He's going to run this company one day, whether he likes it or not. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Eddie, my last question is always the same. Um, I gave you a little bit of a hint before we started. So in three generations, what do you hope your great grandchildren remember about you? Um, he's an example of change. Anybody can anybody can do anything and you can do it with you can do it by doing it the right way. Mm. That's so good. That's so good. Eddie, thank you for being here. Oh, thank you. thank you for being. I mean, thank you for sharing. I know that that wasn't necessarily easy, but everything you shared was important and our listeners needed to hear it. So thank you. Thank you as well. Thank yeah. you for having me on the show. Yeah. Everybody, thank you so much for being here. We will be with you again next time. Have a great day. God bless you. Eric L. Dunavit here. Thank you so much for joining us for Redefining Success, the Kingdom Builder Spotlight. If you're a business owner or a family who is actively redefining success or have thoughts on kingdom impact or generational prosperity, and you would like to be a guest on the show, then I invite you to apply. Visit www.ericldunavit.com dot com slash podcast slash apply. Also, if you enjoyed today's episode, I would love for you to share that either through text or social media. Take a screenshot of the show and share that and share what you learned. If you know anyone that should be a guest on our show, we would also love for you to connect us to them. The best way to do that is to use hashtag redefining success. I love to read your thoughts and shares on social media. And we also are honored just to get any recommendations of people that you think we should be interviewing on the show. We are constantly adding new content, adding new podcasts. So first and foremost, I'm going to recommend that you subscribe so that you don't miss a thing. Also, you, all of your likes, your reviews, your shares, all of that makes a big difference to the show. So if you'll include those when you can, we definitely appreciate it. If you'd like to get in touch with me, visit www.ericl360.com and all of my connections to social and other ways to get in touch with me are there. This is Eric L. Dunavant, the Mindset Disruption Strategist, signing off. Until next time.